You're listening to The Life of Try. It's triathlon for your ears. So you're still in Lanzarote. I just got here last night. Um, it has been uh, quite the wild, well, the last, I don't know, eight weeks or whatever it's been, have been totally crazy. But um, this one has been especially nuts. I was at the uh, Canada Man, Canada Woman Extreme Triathlon, which what is, is in Lac Megantic, which is three hours, a little over three hours outside of Montreal. Um, it is uh, like I'd, we were right at the border of New Hampshire. It was crazy how far away we were from uh, everything. Um, and then, uh, yeah, so I finished there late on Sunday night, got up early Monday morning, drove to Montreal um, and started the uh, long journey <clears throat> to Lanzarote. So uh, I, to get here in time to run the pro press briefing this morning, I had to uh, fly to another island and take a ferry across yesterday. So it has been oh. quite the adventure. Jesus, Kevin McKinnon, uh, we are back again. Uh, nice to see that we are. We've connected with you over in uh, Lanzarote. That's always a always wonder where you guys are. There's a couple of you um, triathlon commentating guys who just bounce around a lot. You're one of them. Um, is it? Obviously, every race is different, but do those all start to, you know, become one or is it, you know, a little bit uh, each race has got its own unique sort of setup so you can kind of differentiate? Totally. Uh, every race is unique. And, um, yeah, I, you know, I'm fortunate enough. I get to go to a lot of uh, really fun spots. Um, yeah, hopefully, hopefully we'll talk about the Canada Man, Canada Woman event. It was unbelievable like certainly unique and then uh, Lanzarote is uh, for anyone who knows me they know how much I love this island it's like my favorite spot on the planet um, traditionally when there's not COVID happening around the world uh, my wife and I uh, come here for the Ironman in May uh, we get to celebrate our anniversary and my birthday over here every year and um, it's one of the highlights of the year every year yeah, right. Um, I'll get to Lanzarote in just a minute. Um, let's get to racing in just a minute. Let's talk a little bit about um, about triathlon. I, I, I funnily enough, I'm an angry man tonight. <laughs> oh, oh, good grief! What are we in for now? Well, okay. So now you you might and you wrote an article about this on your beautiful uh, website, um, Triathlon Magazine Canada. Of course, is the place to go for all things. Uh, oh, no. we're talking Barcelona, aren't we? Yeah, you're going uh, to Barcelona. Now I'm sitting there. I'm on the tweeter because obviously Facebook and in uh, WhatsApp and all that went down this week, and oh my god, the world collapsed because we couldn't get on our social media platforms. What a massive bummer that was! For I'm not on either of them, so I don't really. Well, I'm not on Facebook, that's for sure. Um, yeah, and then I, I, I get on the tweeter, and which I'm prone to do. I do like tweeter. It's a good banter up there. Um, and I'm scrolling through, and I see this image of a peloton rolling along. <laughs> and then it was, this is an actual race. And I spat up my cornflakes, and I couldn't <laughs> believe. What the fuck was I seeing there? 
like seriously, two things strike me. Okay, I'm going to put a little bit of a disclaimer there first of all, and then I want to get your learned opinion because you wrote an article about this. First of all, if it's real, right? Now, I am a very and highly dubious of a lot of things. I don't trust everything that I see because the internet's a wild place. It, it looked, Kevin, to me, A, that were the slowest bunch of cheats I've ever seen on an Iron Man. They were crawling. The second thing is weren't, it could have been just a group of dudes getting down to the race start or rolling in. So if it's verified and if it's actually real, then that course has got a huge problem in my book. Um, so yeah, there's this, I wrestled with putting this story up yesterday. Um, and you saw my sort of little disclaimer at the bottom that I reached out to Iron Man. Um, yeah. I, I sort of, I waited a couple of hours and then just kind of went, I gotta go. Um, and I was doing this at night here, um, in Europe. So, um, but, uh, I still haven't heard anything backward. We're, we're now banging on, uh, 1140 here in Lanzarote that puts it at 1240 over in Germany. Um, so I, ha I haven't heard anything back in terms of a comment from Iron Man. Um, so yeah, I, I was the same way. I'm like, ah, I hate doing a story just based on, on social media stuff. Um, yeah. but I actually went to the Iron Man Spain website and some of the pictures they posted um, like, you know, there's even even if you try and say, OK, that's a long way away. It's a zoom lens. Yeah, yeah. Um, there is no way to see this as anything other than, yeah, that's a big group. Um, yeah. And and that's on Iron Man and, and a, a Facebook site that's hosted by Iron Man at some level. Um you know, and, and then I found a picture. I love this. Um, the caption, um, do you think it's a cycling tour? No, it's the Ironman Barcelona. Without drafting, they say, of shame. And uh, so that was a, a photo posted by Seggy Sierra in 2014. It looks like a grand fondo. Yeah. It is insane, this picture. So... And, and, you know, I have heard that before. I've been told that, you know, things can get a little nuts. So I, I, I just went and did the numbers. Um, so I could not find any of the bike run uh, results. And I believe there were bike run competitors. So Ironman over in Europe said, hey, it's COVID. A lot of you guys haven't been able to swim all year. If you want to come to the event and not do the swim, we are totally fine with you just doing a bike run. So um, th th I, I believe that there were bike run athletes. I can't find any results for them, but I do know that there were 2,461 competitors in the full distance race. There were 1,409 in the 700 or 70.3 event. Um, and I, you know, and, and unless I've messed things up, when I looked at the schedule and, and still makes no sense to me, the 70.3 athletes left it eight o'clock the the iron man athletes left at um at 8 30 um because of the high winds they shortened the swim they said it was 950 meters um from what i have seen like you know people were finishing in eight minutes um <laughs> and so 
<laughs> so from what I've seen, it was actually more like 600 meters. So you have 4,000 people swimming 600 meters and then going on to a two-loop bike course. It is insanity. Yeah. So Yeah. I'm, I'm going to call hard bullshit on that event, okay? If I go to and, – and this is what also – Let's get. I'll get through this first. The, Ironman Barcelona <laughs> need to do better. It's not a fucking Ironman. It's just not. I'm furious about watching that. Like it really ground my gears, and I've spent two days grinding my teeth to get to this podcast to talk this through. So I'm a little bit wound up, but I couldn't believe what I was seeing. If you've got 50 dudes in a bunch, that's complete rubbish, and it's inappropriate for the sport. It's rubbish for the brand, and anybody who finished in that group. In the Iron Man is not an Iron Man in my book. They're just a bloody cheat. They're a cheat, and we've been banging on about this since the eighties. Is that drafting is a pain in the ass, but there's degrees in which you are willing to step back as a race organizer and figure it out. That's not figuring it out. That's just going. You know what? We're dusting it off because we're money hungry pigs, and we're trying to get as much coin into our pocket as we can by putting a overpopulated group into an underpopulated course. It makes zero sense to me. And yeah, I know it's COVID. I also know that a lot of people have had to put up with a lot. And I also know a lot of people have to miss out on a lot. So you know what? At the end of the day, it's about experience. You're not getting an Ironman experience sitting in a bunch of guys, 60 strong. And it was a massive bunch. You're right. It looked like a grand fondo. It was ridiculous. And we're watching these people all just sail along, unconscionably cheating in front of it. They might as well be injecting EPO into their veins as they're pedaling along. It's rubbish. And they get such an advantage. The dudes in the middle of that group wouldn't wouldn't have even turned a pedal. They would have just sat on, had some snacks, and rolled around. It's completely wrong. And if I go to a franchisee and, and I go to a Subway or I go to a McDonald's, I don't do often, but I expect a certain standard. And if I'm not getting a certain standard, I'm pretty sure head office up at McDonald's somewhere is going to come and pull the pin on that franchisee. It's time I man took the license back and gave it to a fair income group of people who actually are going to look at this as not a great uh, thing for our sport. And it really has ground my gears, <laughs> as you can probably tell, um, around this. Okay, well, we don't need this. This is not at all required. Your numbers that you've just given us then are bonkers. Yeah. Oh, uh, hey, absolutely. So, um, Phil, I know this is going to be hard for you, but take a deep breath, right? Um, and, and you sort of said some of this already. It is COVID. Um, so, you know, I think normally they're, they're not going to try and have the 70.3 um, and the full distance banging on the same time, although, uh, you know, for those kind of numbers. So, you know, take a deep breath on that front. Two, you know, you had the you had the weather issues, so they shortened the swim and all that stuff. Um, but you know, uh, so you know, take your deep breath on all that front. Um, <laughs> and I was going to say, you know, Iron Man's going to learn from this, and they're going to change. They're not going to learn from this. Um, right. Like this, this has been this has been an issue on this course for years and years and years. Um, and so, you know, and this is where. I, I, I'm with you, like, but I, I think there's also um, an issue of personal responsibility in all of this as well. So, um, you know, 
when I have I have come across athletes who will proudly talk about their bike bike splits at a race. Um, you know, there was there was uh, a woman in in our area who had this insanely fast bike split at Ironman Arizona one year, and I just kind of I, I could not believe that she was actually proud of that and would tell mm. people because I'm like you're telling everyone that you cheated <laughs> like because there's yeah. no way you can bike that fast. Yeah. Um, so there's, there's a sense of personal responsibility and, and, you know, we were joking about this after Roth, right? Like how many people are running around saying, you know, you know, Hey, my new Ironman or full distance PB is X from challenge Roth. They're sort of accidentally forgetting to tell everyone that the bike was 166 K versus yeah. 180. Right. Yeah. Um, so, um, so yeah, you know, I, I, I don't know how we fix this until we get rid of the attitude that it's only cheating if you get caught. Um, and you know, and, and that is something that I fear is a big deal in, or is prevalent in our society as we know it. Mm. Um, and, um, so that's where it's got to, you know, that's where it's got to start and, you know, uh, now you now you've got me rolling on all of this stuff. Good grief! Um, but you know what I want to do is I want to start teaching kids in kindergarten about cheating, right? So I want to take a bunch of kids to the gym, put line up all of them against the wall except one, put one in the middle of the gym, and say, okay, we're racing to the opposite wall. And when the kid who you know gets there first because he started halfway across you go hey you're the best here you're the fastest and everyone will go no he isn't like he started way out in front and i'm going that's yeah. what cheating is um and yeah. you know, that's what we need to do but we don't do that like in in our society it's totally fine as long as you win um yeah. and that's what we've got to change so yeah 100 uh, so but if you're that, you're I don't know that we're getting there no, I like the self-regulation idea. I really do. I think if you're out on a course, it's like when you're riding in a bunch ride and, you know, you got a person in your bunch who breaks a red light or does something, you know, again, I get irate at those people as well. Not that I ride in bunches that often, but I certainly don't love people who break the rules, you know, ride red lights and that kind of stuff. I have no time for that. I think it's, it's no good for anybody. But if Ironman don't yank the chain on this one, and if you're sitting there, at, you know, in the Ironman Tower somewhere and you see this, surely rings a massive alarm bell to say our product is crap this product is not our product this is a inferior knockoff and it is being run to the ground it's not an ironman experience it certainly cannot be counted an ironman experience when you look at the numbers that you quoted of athletes on the road but when you also look at the way in which those athletes conduct themselves so if you're in that bunch you need to hang your head there's nothing to be proud of your medal is tarnished because you've cheated your way around the course and drafting is cheating we know that right so the other thing that you know that we need to raise is at what point does Ironman you know look at the quality control of what they're doing they're quite happy to slap an m dot on anybody and anything when you do that you've got to make sure that there's a standard we've gone on about this for years you and i that courses aren't verified that things often and i'm not talking about change in weather courses i'm talking about you know distances and all that kind of stuff it just seems like a bit of the wild west at the moment they need to take control of their product and actually get the racing correct and make sure that the experience is there. I wanted to talk to you also while we were talking about altering courses and things like that. So, I mean, 
that Iron Man in 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 Barcelona, that's that's a, in my book, it's a joke. It's not a real Iron Man. It's just it's just a race. And yes, I take your point on COVID, and I'll take a deep breath on it. Breath on it. But I'll also tell you that you know down here we have missed out on a crap ton. So you know it's not like anybody you know we're we're all immune from this. You you've got to understand that the experience is what you're paying for. So if you want to put seventy point three athletes on there. Either let them race the day before or let them race for free or don't charge everybody full rate because you're not giving them the full experience. But we're never going to happen with that one because it involves money. The other thing I'm curious about from your point of view, Kevin, is about the changing of courses. And um, there was a little bit of uh, chirp on Twitter about, you know, Ironman becoming too soft because you've just said it then. If you travel to, you know, to Ironman Clown Fest in Barcelona, you didn't have to do the swim because you haven't got to a pool. Really? Is that, is that what we want? Is, and again, I understand it's COVID and everyone's done it tough. Yeah. Okay. But is that what we want? It, signing up for a triathlon means you have to swim. If there are chop, if there's waves, why don't, why do we cancel things? Why do we run waves instead of mass starts? Have we made and have we moved away from the true, Ironman experience that you and I would have got back in 1947. Um, <laughs> you, well, you might have got with your luscious grey hair. Um, <laughs> okay, so um, boy, I, you know, is it the Muppets? You know, with the two old guys sitting yes, up Waldorf in the- and Stadler. That's us. That, that's what I'm starting to feel like you and I are right now. Um, <laughs> I'm but, curious though. I think this is a valid so, point. I, you know, if it's on. Twitter, so here's the story. I'm always I'm always on your case that um, these things are way too long, and I'm about to tell a story to help make this even longer. Tell so, us a story, uh, Papa Kevin. Iron Man Arizona one year. Um, I'm coming out of my hotel, and um, I see a woman just getting onto her bike, and she's struggling to get onto her bike and get her foot into the pedal. And she struggles and struggles and falls over. And I go running over, and I help her get up, and I'm like, hey, so are you here to watch someone at the race? And she said, no, I'm racing. And she could tell that I had this shocked look on my face, right? And uh, <laughs> she said, yeah, you know, I, this, I haven't really been outside on my bike at all. I've done almost all of my training indoors. <sighs> and so I walked into the, uh, to the media trailer um, where we were doing all of our Ironman live coverage and uh, Paula Newby Fraser was there. And I said, I think we're taking this anything is possible too far. <laughs> and I think we're we're sort of, to your point, <laughs> we're, we're trying to make it so accessible that we've gone to another extreme. Um, and, you know, so that's the one side of the coin. I'm with you hundred percent. Like, yes, we should be swimming. Yes. We should be doing all this stuff. It's supposed to be hard, right? Like if it was easy, it would be, I'm not going to name a sport because then people will be upset with me and send me emails and all that stuff. It'd be uh, tennis. <laughs> It'd be tennis. hundred percent tennis, tennis, be tennis. Hey, tennis is my first sport and no, that's not easy. Um, <laughs> but um, so, uh, so, there's my one side of things, but I'm Canadian, so I always have to have the other side and sit on <laughs> I the I can fence, just be right? the angry Australian down here. <laughs> yeah, so the, that, that's all very well and easy for us to say, 
when we don't have to be the ones who make the phone call or go, and I've had to do this, uh, go with a family to a hospital when someone's passed away, et cetera. So there, there is a balancing act that needs to be done. I don't know if balancing act is the right word there. You know, obviously you need to be careful. It needs to be safe, all of those things. But yes, it's supposed to be difficult. And, you know, the Canada man, Canada woman uh, triathlon that I was at this weekend, they make no bones about it. Like this thing is hard as hell, right? Like this is going to be the hardest thing you've ever looked at doing in your life. And that's the way it is. And if you if you're not ready for that, don't come, Um, you know, and but that's an event. You know, the most they ever can have is 250 people. They had, I think, 87 uh, this weekend because of COVID and stuff, right? So it's different worlds. And Ironman isn't running like a Canada man, woman event, right? It's running as a business that, you know, uh, somebody wants to get at least $750 million for or a billion dollars for the next time they sell. Yeah, but that's right. And Ironman is a is a complete bums on seats operation. The, that's why the pros have never mattered to Ironman. They didn't give a rat's ass about the pros. It's of no interest to them other than they're there, right? In my opinion, that is. Um, I, you know, they make their money and they keep their shareholders happy via the um, the avenue of age groupers and get as many. So Barcelona is a win for them because they've crammed as many people onto the course as possible. And they've got 3,000 plus people through in a race day and it's awesome. And you're right. If we make it easier, I'll get more people because people, I, I'm not 100% sure on this. And, you know, I, I don't know whether there are really triathletes out there anymore. And there might be a small percentage, but I'm really not sure um, that there are, you know, people kind of dabble in it. They come and do Ironman for a year or two, and then they disappear. And, you know, there's not that person who's doing multiple races for multiple years. I don't think they're a small minority. They still exist, obviously, but they're not as as prevalent as they were. I think nowadays there's so much on offer. Like you can go and do a gravel race or a mountain bike race, or you can go and do a ocean swim, or you can go do the, the race that we'll get to at the moment that you're at at the weekend about, you know, an extreme triathlon or an Ultraman or a, I mean, there's a million things you can go and do. And that's why Ironman bought a range of different races to keep the athletes in their ecosystem so that they keep Kevin in their ecosystem when he runs off and does a mountain bike race for the season rather than going doing his yearly Ironman. But they still get your money. And it's a worthwhile business opposition, uh, proposition and it makes sense to me to keep athletes within your group. But I think with trying to draw athletes in to Ironman Hey, you know, you you can do swims in waves. Hey, there's not a mass start. You know, oh, there's a little bit of inclement weather. Let's let's make sure that we, you know, we we don't swim. And I understand fully that you don't want to be that person, you know, going to the hospital. I, I understand that. But I'll also put it to you as a as a you know, sort of as a counter to that. We don't want to see people dying. No one does. But with everything we do, there is inherent risk. And everything we do in life, there's inherent risk. I surfed this morning. Um, I, I always put myself at risk because I'm a clumsy surfer. But also there's inherent risk that, you know, who knows what could happen, especially in my neck of the woods when the men in the grey suits might show up and I might lose something. But I know that going in and, and I accept the risk. That's why when it's massive double overhead, I'm not the guy paddling out. I'm the guy sitting on the beach watching. And so sensible people know the limitations and maybe we need to counter that with, okay, you can do the swim, but it is going to be risky. And to a certain point, 
we make a we make a um, I guess we make a, an allowance for that. Now, I'm not advocating go, just you know down the torpedoes approach and run straight at it. I'm talking about wave starts. I'm talking about bringing back mass starts. I'm talking about the whole idea of you know creating the Ironman to the roots that it was and, and making it true to itself. Now, people will howl down at this, and they're allowed to. We're allowed to have an opinion. But I do think at the minute we've got real. Um, I don't know. The, the sport is just, yeah, it's just, it's just finding itself again to where its true roots were. And I'm not sure we got given a, a great dose um, in Barcelona, but they also a challenge this week too. They also um, cancelled the swim due to high winds and they made it a, they substituted with a 5k run. So, you know, I mean, it's happening everywhere and how much risk do you want to take? Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, certainly th- there are times when things, when, you know, well, even this weekend, the Canada man-woman event, uh, 12 degree water, they shortened the swim to 1500 meters. Um, so, you know, this is an event that, you know, prides itself on how difficult it is. Uh, but they kind of went, yeah, putting people in for 3.8K in that water temperature is maybe a little much even for these guys. So, yeah. Um, there, there is a balance, but they did definitely swim. Uh, they, cause they, so normally they do the race in July um, and they start at 4.30 in the morning because they're bound and determined that they want to have the athletes do the first 15 minutes of the swim in the dark. Um, like wow. this is not an event that you go to um, unless you're in for a challenge or ready for a challenge. Uh, so they had the swim start. I said, it starts at 6.15, like, sunrises until 6 30 or 6 35 and they said yep that's what we want so um but you know even then they they felt a need to to shorten that swim and i think it was a good call uh you know there were i i saw two or three athletes who got out after one or two of the loops um they allowed those athletes to continue but um they just uh they they were given a time penalty which was i think two hours so um so, you know, they were like, hey, you can do this race, but you're obviously not going to win in an age group category or anything like that. So how do they how do they keep track of them in the in the pitch dark? How do they keep track of athletes? So, yeah, it's, everyone has to have uh, some sort of a flashing light on their goggles. And it wasn't completely pitch dark. So um, you know, just about 15, 20 minutes before the sun comes up, it, you start to get a little bit of a. A little bit of a glow. I know that you know you're, you're never up before probably nine nine thirty ten, uh, so you wouldn't ever notice this. But just before sunrise, it sort of starts getting light, and that's when they they head on out there. So um, if you go onto the site, I've got some photos uh, from just before the uh, before the start, and you can you can kind of make out that it's a little bit light. But man, I would not have wanted to get in that water for sure. No. Well, generally I get up at the crack of noon. Thanks, Kevin. Um, <laughs> so we, 1,500 meter swim, is it the full Olymp- um, iron, long, iron man distance, whatever you want to call it? Is it 180 and 42? Is that how they run it? Um, so normally, yes. Uh, so the bike is actually 179K. Uh, they finish, I think the finishing grade is between 16 and 20%. Yeah. Oh. Um, it, it's nuts. Like I, I so the the fastest woman on the bike uh, was a, a woman named Lynn Bissett, um, amazing athlete. She went to the Olympics twice for Canada on the bike. I think it was two thousand and two thousand and four. Um, Might have been four and eight, but 
anyway, she's a two-time Olympian, um, incredible cyclist. Uh, she is not a great swimmer. She came out of the water about eight minutes behind the fastest woman um, and then just rode right through right through the field, ended up coming off the bike fourth overall. But even Lynn Bissett on that final climb had to weave her way up the road. Like no one could just ride straight up. They had to sort of go back and forth. And this is at the end of 179K of riding, like uh, 2,500 meters of climbing. It is just nuts. And then um, in non-COVID years, uh, it is a full marathon. This year, they had to shorten the run to 38K, um, and they took out the first hill. So you finish at the top of this hill, and it's right at the border of New Hampshire. And then normally, they run across the road, and they go through this private property, and it's up another, it's not quite a mountain, but up another monstrous climb. Well, because they had to move the race to October, it's the middle of hunting season. And the dude had rented out that whole area to a bunch of hunters. And he's like, yeah, you can't have them run through there. They'll get shot. Wow. Which might have been fun. Um, so, so they had to take that section out. So it was, I'm putting you know the quotes here, only 38K. Mm-hmm. The fastest run split was four hours and five minutes. Wow. Um, they finish uh, the last 10K, they run up. Uh, uh, so they run up a mountain and they finish at um, uh, the um, observatory up at the top. So I don't know if you've ever been to the observatories up in Kona at the uh, uh, mm. top of Mauna Kea. Mm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's instead of there being a bunch of them, it's just one of them sitting up at the top. It's uh, it's an amazing Amazing race. So uh, I, I posted the photo gallery last night. It is just breathtaking, just beautiful shots. And I encourage everyone to go and check it out. All right. I've had my Canada man, woman fix. We can move <laughs> on. But that's that's what we're talking about, though. Like, so, and, and those are the sorts of races that kill Ironman, right, in terms of the perennial, you know, people doing events year on year because there's so many things to – like, I, I listen to that race and I go, you know what, I, I – I do that. There's 187 people, but you know, generally it'd be a couple hundred people racing. It's a lot calmer. It's not so commercial. It's challenging. It's got, you know, a great story attached to it when I tell everyone about this and that. And, you know, those sorts of events are the ones that are killing the sport because everyone gets taken away from that. I mean, you know, you look at that and I'll go back to clown show in, in Barcelona again, you go back to that and you go, well, I could go and do that cool ass race you've just described in Canada. Or I could go to an Ironman where I'm staring at bitumen or I'm staring at some, you know, massive bunch and it's all the same. And I'm getting, you know, the, the, the adventure of something new is driving people. I would think, and I, I don't know, I'd be probably proven wrong with numbers and stuff, but I would think because there's so many things to do outside of a traditional Ironman now, um, you know, it's drawing athletes. And even we talked last week about the pros, they get drawn into Super League or they get drawn into, um, you know, doing a different style like a Collins Cup or there's different things now that they're doing. The sport has to hang on to its roots and its challenges in order to keep people, I guess, coming back. 
because well, so the pros the pros are different because they're um, you know they're going after the money, right? Mm-hmm. So when I turned pro, nineteen eighty six, I know back in the dark ages, um, <laughs> I did one race in Canada, um, and that was in my hometown of Kingston because I had Kingston sponsors. But there were no prize money races in Canada. And so I didn't go to any races in Canada, right? Like I was trying to make money. So the pros are going to follow the money. Um, the age group athletes, um, the thing is that, and, and don't hold me to these numbers, but um, about f- from what I, you know, from what I understand, about 40% of the athletes who do an Ironman race are one and done, right? Yeah. So they, it's a bucket list event. Yep. And that's the business model, right? Like it's, we're getting people, they come up, they do their bucket list event, they move on. And that's why Ironman needs to keep getting those bucket listers, right? And you talked about, you, you're so bang on. I can't believe I'm, I'm sort of <laughs> how impressed I was with your, um, your sort of modeling there, but that's keeping them in that endurance bubble. So uh, yeah. Long distance cycling, long our, our uh, cross country trail riding, um, a, a extreme mountain running events, all of those things that you just want to keep them. Okay, they've done their Ironman. Where are they going to next? What is yeah. their next challenge going to be? Um, and keeping them in that bubble. Whereas, as you say, a Canada man, Canada woman event, um, that's drawing the lifers, like the people like... Um, myself who have been involved in the sport forever and a day. And this is what we're going to keep being involved in. Um, and, and it is a small percentage, but um, I argue, I would argue that it's, you know, a, a, a decent sized percentage and it's a very um, affluent percentage, right? So you, you look at the, the numbers of those folks um, they're, uh, you know, they're executives and they're C-level types and they're lawyers and doctors and those kind of things. Um, so, you know, they, they have some buying power. So I would argue that there is some value uh, to being able to to uh, cater to those athletes. Ironman, though, is they're not worried about those guys as much as they're worried about that 40 percent, keeping them churning through. Got to keep yeah. the turnover going, keep those numbers up. But if you have a crap experience at an Ironman race, then how likely are you to go back to an alternative event? So you go to Barcelona, have a day there, sitting, you know, you look at around, you go, this is not for me. This is just carnival or circus on wheels. Um, and then you see the, you know, you're in your inbox the next couple of weeks, you get some race ad for a different style of racing. I'd be going, well, they didn't put on a very good show. Am I going to stick with the brand? And that's what I'm saying. You know, like you, you damage your brand, you damage people's want to be involved, you know, and it's still, um, you know, it's still, I guess, incumbent on them to put on the best show possible in order to get the people back in, w- in whatever form that is, whether it be a trail run or a, whether it is a, another Ironman or is it a 70.3 or is it a, you know, gravel race now or whatever you want to do. Cause now I know all about gravel. Um, Interesting takes too on I saw on uh, alternative websites etc with people talking about Kona being every second year. We had this conversation last week, I think it was. Um, there's been a little bit of interest in that, you know, that the fact that you know maybe Kona only needs to be every second year. I think that's dangerous speaking. Uh, and as we said to sort of underline that point again, Kevin, 
Kona must be every year. It must happen every year. I don't know. COVID aside, you, you, I mean, you know, they wouldn't have dreamt of moving it. I don't really understand why they need to move it or look at those alternatives. Yeah, no, I, I can't. I can't imagine that'd be like the Tour de France happening every second year. Like, no, that that makes absolutely no sense to me. Um, it's it's the you know it's the the crown the crown jewel of the sport every year and um, yeah I, I don't I don't see that making a whole lot of sense on that front. Um, no, the su- the suggestion was that you would have it every second year in Kona, and then on that odd year you would give it and award it to another um, to another city. Yeah, Again. you see, I still. I still come back to, and I think we we talked about this. We've talked this to death. We should probably move on. Um, yeah. But um, I, I still don't know. I think people go to Hawaii. They go to Kona. They go to the big island more than they are going to an Ironman World Championship. So, um, you know, I, 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 and you know, I, always talk, I always talk about people coming into the office on Monday morning, right? And, you know, hey, did you do... Um, what did you do on the weekend? Oh, well, I did a full distance triathlon. Oh, what's that? Well, it's an Ironman distance. Um, oh, so it's like the one in Hawaii. Well, it is sort of, but it wasn't an official Ironman. That's the challenge, quote unquote, that challenge has, right? Because it's the name Ironman that draws people and it's Hawaii that draws people and everyone knows about that. So, um, so yeah, I, I, I think it would be a very, nutty move. I, I'm sure Iron Man would make lots of money um, from different events or different sites like St. George, I'm sure is paying a, pay, are paying a pretty penny to have the world's there in May. Um, but um, I don't know that it would ultimately be the best thing for the brand. No, they need to keep it put. I think we've, as you said, I think we've whipped this dead horse enough. Keep it in Kona, people. Don't get excited because you think you've had a new and original idea. It needs to stay there. It is the jewel in the crown. Oh, just keep it there, man. Keep it there. Um, tell me a little bit about Lanzarote. Why? Why is why is it considered the hardest race outside of Kona? Or, you know, contender for? Yeah. So the thing with um, uh, the thing with Lanzarote is you've got um, the the conditions here. It's always windy. Like there, there's just always wind happening. It's a small island, 60 miles off the coast of Africa. Uh, the Sahara Desert is just over the ocean. Um, and um, it is, uh, it's a volcanic island. And it took me a while and I still don't know. I, you know, I actually always promised to research this and everything. I couldn't figure out what the difference was with the lava uh, between Kona and here. Um, and it seems to me that like the lava here is a lot more jagged and all that kind of stuff. And from, from what I can figure out, basically the tops just blew right off the top of the mountains here, um, a couple of hundred years ago and everything just went where it is. Whereas in, in Kona, it's not, a, you know, more of lava flows as opposed to that big explosion. Um, but other than that, very similar in terms of the lava, um, and while the mountains aren't super high, uh, they're just long, gradual climbs that just beat the crap out of you. And then when you add the wind to it all, it just really makes for, um, makes for tough riding. 
Um, so that, you know, that, that's what has always made Lanzarote um, kind of unique. Um, it's one of these places, you, your pictures just don't do it justice. And it's one of those things you really have to see to truly experience. Every single athlete I have ever brought here for a training camp, um, you know, we get to the top of uh, uh, Mirador de Jaria, the one of the first climbs that I always like to do. Um, and they go, this is just so beautiful. And no, words didn't do it justice, but I'm so glad I came. You know, it, it's it's pretty amazing on that front. So, so what are you um, expecting so they, for, the, for the weekend? Uh, so the, the, the big news, uh, you know, in terms of the, the race favorites, uh, Daniel Backegaard, who was, was he third at the 70.3 Worlds? Um, yeah. And exactly. uh, so, um, you yeah, know, he's sort of the highlight on the men's front. And then Annie Haug is here um, hmm. on the women's front. She is uh, sponsored by Club Los Santos. So I'm sure, uh, you know, spends a lot of time training here in Lanzarote. And uh, so she's here for the race this weekend as well, which is very exciting. So, um and uh, Michelle Vesterby's here at Club of Santa. I have, I've, I've seen her in the distance. I haven't had a chance to uh, say hello, but she's leaving on Friday. So she's um, just here for some training. I'm trying to figure out, I've got to find out if she's uh, planning on an Ironman later on this year or something. And that's why she's here. So, uh, yeah. but uh, yeah, anyhow, how Dan- Daniel Beckegaard, kind of the two highlights uh, here in terms of the, uh, the field. And do you have a, big age group contingent or is it it is a small race so um i feel like there's going to be six or seven hundred they you know they they've always struggled for the numbers here in lanzarote uh it's really popular for the europeans and it's easy to you know it's a four-hour flight from frankfurt or london or any of those kind of places but it's uh it's a hard place to get to from north america uh so they've never really um They've never really uh, been able to garner huge fields. I think the largest Ironman they've had here has been about 2,000, but you know, traditionally it's in that 1,500 to 2,000 range. But it is a lot of those types that um, that you were talking about earlier, the lifers, that you know, the people who come to this race um, have been in the sport for a while. You, you very rarely do you get the one and doneers coming to this sucker. Yeah, um, right. and then the seventy point three uh, to try and get more numbers for next year. They're moving the seventy point three to March next year, so it'll be, uh, I believe, the first European race on the seventy point three circuit. So they're hoping that they'll they'll get some numbers. Um, it is a challenging bike course, um, just like the Ironman here. Uh, a lot of climbing on that bike course, some steep technical descents. Um, but just beautiful. They they do the 70.3 down at Playa Blanca, um, which is just a beautiful resort town and uh, just spectacular. So as you can tell, I'm a monstrous fan of this island and uh, these events. Like this is this is what triathlon is for me. You know, it's, it's tough racing and, um, you know, smaller fields, which to me is great. Obviously, the race organizers would like a little better. But the, the nice thing is you never hear about issues with drafting. So No, not from Lanzarote, no. No, no. My wife uh, has done this race. Uh, she done it once, um, I feel like a couple of times. But, um, you know, she had an amazing bike ride here a few years ago. She was 
uh, in the 55 to 59 age category and was the 16th fastest woman's bike ride overall. Um, yeah, like, and that, inc that included all of the pros. Um, and, uh, she, you know, she just said, yeah, anytime somebody tried to stay on my wheel, it wasn't, an, it wasn't an issue. I just waited until the next hill and dropped them. Like, yeah. you know, th th it's just not a factor here. So yeah. that's good. And are you, are you venue commentating? I am. Yes. Uh, so, which is a bummer to me. I've never had the opportunity to get out and shoot this race. So at Canada, man, I just was in my element, uh, you know, they, they, they drove me around the course and I was just getting shots all day long. And I would love to do that at some point here, but, um, I'm usually here doing the, uh, either the live coverage of the race, but this year I'm, uh, the on-site announcer. You know, I've done a few of them myself, the on-site announcing for Ironman. How do you, how do you keep it going? Isn't it like, it's, it's, it's a really challenging it's a challenging thing. No sport in the world that I know asks its comment. And when we saw this, you know, this kind of tag team arrangement with uh, the Collins Cup, and it worked pretty well. Um, but on the venue, you stand there with maybe a team of three, maybe four if they've got money, um, and you might do a tower out on the course. But you're talking for 17 hours. I I am buggered if I know how Riley does it each and every time he goes out there. And he's like a permanent injection of Red Bull into that guy. Um, yeah. And he's up and about all – It's a man, it's, it's a hard thing. People don't get how hard Iron Man commentating is for a full day. Oh, it, yeah, absolutely. It's, it's no two ways around it. It's a toughie. Um, yeah, there was uh, – I think there were three of us at uh, in Almere – uh, for that one, it was a, it was a long day and yeah, it, it, but you're bang, you're, what you're talking about is bang on. Like for me, I always say, I've got to have fun. If I'm not having fun, then the people out there probably aren't having fun. So, you know, that's, you just get out there, you have a good time and you um, just be as up as you possibly can. It's tough but though, isn't are, it? I mean, yeah. you can say all that. And, and Riley says the same thing, you know, I'm here for you. I mean, he is. He, and I believe that 100% having worked. I mean, I'd called, I think, about 11 or 12 Ironmans before I said this was crap. It's not for me because I'm not the sort of dude, as you can possibly gather, who's going to be jack in a box all day. I'm not like that. I'm just, it gets to a point. I'm like, oh, God. I, and I, I'm not disrespecting yeah. the athletes. I'm just a moody bastard who probably can't do it properly. Um, the times I did it, you know, I commentated some amazing. I mean, my my first Ironman Melbourne was amazing. That was when Crowey and Brownie had that massive fight up um, in the marathon. That was awesome to commentate that. And um, the funniest thing that we did because it was a point to point marathon, we had to get from the start of the marathon to the finish line. And I was there with we're at Raymond, and we were trying to. Um, and and we were trying to we had some of the Ironman New Zealand guys driving us and they were the funniest people trying to get through traffic because it was the Australian Grand Prix just finished and there was like roadworks everywhere and it was just a freaking nightmare and the point was they almost chopped us in from one point to the other they almost thought about getting a helicopter to get us the 40k's up because the traffic was so bad but yeah never before, yeah never before I've been so stressed to get to a finish line before the pros but 
you like is there anything you do like like what do you feed off so what gets you up and what gets you moving you know when you're an hour and 12 the pros have long gone and you're like oh i've got to keep moving what do you do um yeah you know it's it's just taking the energy and uh, from the people and you have to remember so, you know, as much as we're sort of going on and on about the drafting and, and all that kind of stuff, um, the thing is that at an Ironman event, you know, if there's 1,800, there's 2,000, every single person has an amazing story, right? Like no one has trained for an Ironman without having put in a bunch of sacrifices and their families having put in a bunch of sacrifices. And it, it's just not easy to to even get to the starting line let alone get through all of that so that is true uh, you know, it's, just, it's not hard for me to um just get excited over the fact that they're coming in they're coming into that finish line after all of that work and and after um all of the stuff that they've probably gone through that day you know like i always talk about ironmans um you find out more about yourself during an ironman than you do probably in 20 or 30 years of life. Um, you know, th there are just times where <laughs> your body and everything is telling you, yeah, this is really stupid. It's time to stop now, <laughs> right? Like, th there's, there's the hotel that we are staying at. There is a comfortable bed in there. There's a hot tub down at the back. Why are we doing this? It is time to go, right? And so we, we know that everybody has gone through that stuff. And so it's just, uh, you know, to me, it's just so important to uh, try and help celebrate that. You know, the the great Scott Tinley was, you know, known for saying that was the pain in your heart will, the pain in your legs and arms or et cetera will go, but the pain in your heart from a misfinish or, or, you know, I'm paraphrasing here, um, will last you a lifetime. And that's probably 100% right. Um, before we wrap this one up, question without notice, best finish line Ironman, Ironman only, I'm not talking about any point three, any other race, Best Ironman finish line you reckon that you've attended? What race was it? And while you think about that, I'll give you mine. I reckon I'm going to say, and again, I'm being a little bit biased here, um, but the Foster, I'm going back to 2000 and like early 2000s uh, when McCormack won his first one in probably 2003, I want to say. Um, the energy at that joint was ridiculous. Paul McQuarrie could never get it. They never got it as as, as well as Foster did. Foster, the, lo <laughs> the locals hated it. You could order a really bad um, coffee that would take probably 35 minutes to get to you. Um, <laughs> but the finish line, my goodness, was absolutely thumping. I, I've not ever sat at a finish line and just gone, holy crap. Rap, you know, it blew my mind. Massive, massive noise, huge wall of people. Um, all the high rises that um, at the end, so there the balconies were all jumping and signs and everything on the balconies. And yeah, absolutely massive for mine. Best finish line, and that's Kona, and that's other races around the world that I've seen as well. But this, you know, this was the one. What, what's your what's your standout? Whew, uh, that, you know, it's just so hard. So, um, but similar to you, so for me, the the one finish line that I will, that's always going to be super special to me is the first one that I, the first Ironman that I announced at, like for the whole day, like I had come in and 
worked at the finish line at Ironman Canada a bunch of years. But Steve King, every five years at Ironman Canada, he would do the race as opposed to announce. So uh, I guess it was 99. He was like, um, you know, I'm not, I'm racing this year. Somebody else has got to announce. And so um, I, I just had so much fun that day. I walked up to the sound guys uh, at five o'clock in the morning and, uh, and I said, okay, you know, obviously once we start cranking the music, just so you know, the music can't be too loud. And the guy's kind of looking at me like, say what? No, Steve normally tells us to keep it down so everyone can hear him and everything. And I'm like, yeah, if if they can't hear me, then I'm just not doing my job. Like I just, <laughs> I, I want this. I want this. This is the one and only time I'm getting a chance to do this. This one's going down in history, folks. And um, nice. you could hear that finish line five kilometers away. Um, it was, uh, it was, and the guy came up to me, <laughs> the sound guy came up to me um, at like 1230 after we shut things down and said, that was the best day of my life. I had so much fun. <laughs> so that one will always go down in memory for me, but that's, you know, very biased. And um, so uh, in terms of finish, Kona is always special. Yeah. Just to get it. Um, but Ironman Austria, uh, the, the, uh, in Klagenfurt, the finish line mm -hmm. they set up, it's like a scaffold. It's like a scaffold city around that, that finish line. So they've got like literally floors. The VIPs are up on like the third floor of all of this scaffolding. It's this huge area. It, and it, and again, it's one of those things you kind of have to see to believe. I'd heard about it and I walked in and I was just like, whoa. Um, <laughs> and my kids still talk about that one. Like, you know, I got them VIP things. They, they came to Europe and did a bunch of events, uh, did three races with me one July. Um, and so Austria and Switzerland and Frankfurt. And so, um, you know, Austria is always special. And then Frankfurt, um, the, the, um, the finish line there is in the the old city and just the setup in there is is unbelievably special as well so uh those two probably mm. Uh, mm. in terms of highlights i must say a cambrian win at talbot was always pretty decent too wasn't it uh you know because they're Absolutely. you know st yeah struggling third world nation and they don't get a lot of uh, wins um when <laughs> when when <laughs> And Cam Brown would get a victory. Um, they would go no crazy. Wonder, no wonder this podcast get no, gets no listens in New Zealand. Okay, no, they, yeah. don't, they don't have I'm electricity in New Zealand. But <laughs> you ask if Kiwi what's a what's a podcast? They're like a what now, mate? Um, <laughs> <laughs> we've just got FM radio, bro. Um, oh, you are awful. You are just <laughs> awful. I want to say, can I? I will. I will asterisk this one heavily by saying that the um, when I used to work over there, nobody in the world would look after me better than uh, than Jane and her crew at uh, at Taupo. I honest and Jeanette, that whole crew, Hep, they are they were absolute legends. God, I love those people. They were fantastic. I'm going to end it on a positive note because. I feel a oh, little bit. Uh, yeah, Hep, that's one thing I have missed is not getting down to to see those guys. Yeah, and it, well, it, the finish line, you know, it's just so hard to set that one up to have it be like the big spectacle, like everything yeah. else. But everything yeah. else about that race, and so you know, well, let's let's do a whole podcast about that and talking about the worlds. Correct. Uh, yeah, because you know, Jane came. Uh, Jane came to Canada a few years ago. 
and uh, went canoe camping with us. Like I took her <laughs> to the middle of nowhere and she was such a great sport. She just loved it. It was uh, really cool. So uh, yeah, the she old race did a great job at, um, she did a great job at uh, at New Zealand, given you know there's only two trucks in the whole country. So that, you know, fantastic work. Um, on that note, Kevin, I wish you well for your journey home when we next speak to you, and have have a blast in Lanzarote. Get the people home, buddy, and um, we hopefully uh, we're chatting to you next week. Enjoy your time uh, on the island. Thank you very much. Thanks for listening to the Life of Try. If you like us, tell your mates and follow us on Instagram at the Life of Try. <laughs>